Welcome to the Tim Biscuit Podcast. Today we've got a new guest, that is Gary. Uh, welcome, Gary. Hi, Ruth. Hi. You you do your own podcast, and it's um, called Biohack Labs, isn't it? Yeah, Biohackers Lab is my podcast. So, can you tell us what biohacking is, just for the people who might not know? Sure. So, biohacking is really just when you're looking to improve your own body, your own health, in different ways. So, I would say there's different spectrums to biohacking. The the one spectrum could be where you're trying to inject genetic material to change your genetics or stick new chips in your body to do certain things. Um, and then you could go more towards the just general self-optimization or what I call N equals one, where you just, you, you want to just make your own body better by what you eat, how you think, how you move, whatever it happens to be, the supplements you take, the gadgets you wear, whatever it is. And that's biohacking, changing your, your, yourself for the, for the better you. So it's sort of everything from saying wearing a Fitbit all the way to injecting yourself with some sort of new genetic material to um, maybe putting a chip inside yourself. Yeah, I guess, you know, the like I said, the purists would say that biohacking itself is probably more the, uh, the other spectrum I was just talking about. But, um, no, I mean... Uh, it's interesting because I'm going to be in London next month in February at something called the Biohacking Congress, and this is going to be the panel discussion. So what is the difference between biohacking and just self-optimization, uh, and is there a difference? So I'd be interested to see what how that debate comes out. Yeah, I suppose there's many people that will have different opinions on them like that. Um, one of the reasons I got you one is because I've started, well, I've been on it for 14 days now, and I've started the carnivore diet, so this is my 14th uh -huh. day. I've lost ten pounds in weight, uh, but I'm finding it hard-ish in times. And, and like the main thing I was talking about it today with something at work, the main thing I'm struggling with is the sugar. In what way with the sugar? Um, I really like honey in my tea. <laughs> I've stopped drinking tea. Uh, I have one coffee a day, but the rest I just have water, and I just eat meat or dairy and a bit of milk. I know some people might say that's not full carnivore, but because milk and cheese is from, like, the animal, I sort of class him. I thought I'd class it as full carnivore. But yeah, I'm struggling with the sugar, and it's 14 mm -hmm. days, so that's my main bit. I'm struggling on, but I'm surprised how much weight I've lost within them, two, like, sort of in these two weeks. Yeah, it's. I mean, when I did the, I did a strict carnivore diet experiment. Uh, I don't even remember now. Was it last year or the year before? Please track of time. But um, <clears throat> I, I was the same. I mean, I didn't plan to lose weight, and I ended up losing weight. And I think the carnivore diets, where you just eat meat, um, it's a fantastic elimination diet. You know, so who knows what causes someone to gain weight sometimes or cause problems in their diets? But when you simplify it to something <laughs> just meat, then yeah, I think that's why people can get such dramatic results and, and, and losing so much weight also in, in a short period of time is, is another big change in someone's life. It is. One thing I've noticed with it, I feel the cold more. And I'm trying to figure out... I'm, well, I mean, I've kept a, like a food log and I should have done this at the beginning really, but at the end I'm going to do my blood pressure, the oximeter, heart, like heart rate and things like that, and my 
blood glucose sugar levels to see how they match after this diet. As I say, I should have done it before, but I didn't, and I kicked myself to that. But I thought if I do it at the end, we've still got some sort of data to go with. And I mean, that's fantastic that you're quantifying it. That's something else I should have mentioned with biohacking. It's all about quantification. So what you're doing there, where you're doing all these metrics and seeing, hey, how does how does my body react when I do something to it? Uh, and that's fantastic insight you're going to be able to get from that. Yeah, I mean, like sort of like sort of as I say, the main thing that I've noticed is um, I feel the cold more, and I can't figure out if it's due to not having honey because I had three pints of tea a day with honey in, or if it's that I've cut out carbs. I didn't have white bread; I only had wholemeal bread and things like that. But it's just strange how I feel, like sort of feel the cold more. Yeah, um, could be the just general going low carb there. And maybe something to do with thyroid function. I'm not, I'm not sure on that one, but uh, yeah. The, you said you have three three pints of tea with honey in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, just, I've got one of these pint mugs, <laughs> and I just had three pints. I had like one with my tea, one after my tea, and one before I went to bed. So I've cut so that how, out. How many how many little jars of honey would all you know those squeezy bottles of honey would you go through in a week? A lot. <laughs> yeah. so, that, I think that's, def- yeah, that's definitely going to be very interesting on uh, um, I mean you've got the emotional connection like the psychology of connection to the sugar because you're going to be so used to those bump ups from that but just yeah your, your body how it responds to that lack of the lack of glucose coming in all the time yeah basically I haven't got anything like sort of like sort of, I, have, I, I like a bit of cheese but I do have milk um, I've gone to full fat milk. I have had raw milk, and um, yeah, so that's the only thing I sort of have dairy because I think if I just had beef and water, I'd I'd, I'd just fail. I just couldn't do it. It's too hard. It. I mean, it is an hard diet. I. I mean, I've been looking forward to doing it, and I've enjoyed doing it. But on the same hand, I'm quite looking forward to having a bit more choice because I really like food and things like that but one thing I am going to take away from this I'm not going to have as many carbs like I might not bread and potato on them right the end but the one thing I do miss is like having sauces with like meat mm-hmm. so because I did my own beef beef jerky and I cooked for a few other people and I did sauce with their meatballs I put bacon and cheese in like in like the meatballs and that and I just had like bacon and meatballs and they all had like pasta and sauces with like their meatballs and stuff like that and I'm like I've just got a dry bit of meat (laughs) (laughs) and I yeah I think um, as I said it's an elimination diet so it depends how far you want to go but you know in the end you'll probably end up on some hybrid mix of whatever it is um, I mean, I got to interview some people. Like, I can think of one doctor, Doctor Tro, and you know, he he was a beast. He was a big guy, and he lost a ton of weight um, when he went low carb, and now he's carnivore himself, I think, or eats a lot of meat. But he would say things like ketchup was just a trigger food for him because the problem is he would like squirt ketchup on food, and then that would just mean he would he would overeat he just couldn't stop eating so he knew like if there was something in the sauce that was causing him to overeat so um, 
yeah, you could, you could, you might find that unfortunately eating dry meat is definitely not pleasant. But um, even there, investigating, hey, maybe there's certain sources that actually then cause me to overeat too. Um, that's an interesting concept. Yeah, because one thing I've noticed about this diet, so I'm doing this diet, and I'm doing it for 30 days, so I'm like, I'll be halfway tomorrow, but I'm having one meal a day. And that's like, I wake up in the morning, I'm not hungry, dinner time, I'm not hungry, at tea time, I'll eat, and then I won't eat again for, say, another 24 hours after that tea time sort of thing. And that's a trend I noticed in a lot of people who go carnivore. Um... Once you just start eating so much protein, you just feel satiated. You know, you just don't feel hungry, typically. I mean, some people are, um, can feel really hungry, but um, even, so even then, what ends up happening is you're practicing this carnivore diet, plus you end up going into intermittent fasting because your eating window is so small now. So there's long periods where you just aren't having any food. And you're not having drink with, that would spike your glucose either, you know, so you're not having your honey drinks in between food, no. so you're not snacking on anything either. So um, the one good thing from that, if you want, I got to, um, I did an interview with um, Dr. Ben Beckman today, he's the insulin resistance guy, and we were talking about food frequency and how often people eat and how that affects your insulin levels. And he was saying one of the best things you can do if you've got insulin resistance is just um, change your food frequency, how often you're eating, and the longer you can go, like what you're doing with OMAD, um, it can it can help improve insulin resistance. Um, not that you have to stay OMAD, you know, one meal a day, but um, if you do have any insulin issues, uh, having a shorter eating window in a day is actually a better thing. Yeah. Uh, one thing I've also took away from, like, this is I've become more interested in how the body works and processes things which is where I wasn't that bothered before. So I've had to find out about things like heart rate, um, cholesterol, um, glucose, and things like that. Because I've had people come to me and say, it's not a healthy diet. You put on loads of like cholesterol, it's, and it's just not good for you. You need fiber, fruit, and vegetables. And I thought, I can't argue the point, because one of them was a nurse that came to me and like started giving me a bit of it's not good for you, you shouldn't do this, blah, blah, this, blah, blah. And I couldn't really argue with the toss because I didn't know enough. And I thought, I'm just going to go out there and try and prove a wrong by um, doing some tests on myself, like glucose, heart rate, with the oximeter and things like that. And I've also got one of these Fitbits things that I'm wearing around my wrist to monitor my heart rate throughout the day. <coughs> so, Yeah, well, when it comes to some questions like that, especially fibre... Just know that's um, it's a grey area. You know, there's no black and white answers. Uh, <laughs> especially the fiber thing uh, gets uh, debated quite a bit. I see in in the different uh, like Twitter threads that I follow. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I've interviewed people like professors of, of nutrition and everything, and you know, they all say no. You need to have fiber because it stimulates your gut bacteria which and there's all these benefits that come with that and then then I've interviewed people who've eaten carnivore for 10 plus years and there's you know they say there's absolutely nothing wrong and they haven't touched any fiber in over a decade um, who knows what the long-term outcomes are but then you know some people they react badly to fiber so yeah I, it just depends how strict you're you know you're going to be but 
it's fun. You know, this is the learning journey. Yeah, oh, yeah, it is fun. So, do you do the carnivore diet now, or do you? Is it the keto diet you're on? No, I, I don't follow a strict carnivore diet now. Um, I also enjoy my food. I enjoy variety. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'd say I, I'm I'm preference more to a sort of low carbohydrate diet, um, and I prioritize meat. So, what you, what you were saying there um, earlier too with I think you, because you with your work you do a lot of traveling, don't you? Yeah, driving. So yeah. I was sort of sat in the van, um, driving, yeah. listening to podcasts, <laughs> drinking water. <laughs> I mean, I'm drinking nearly three to four liters of water a day now. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure. I mean, the struggle you must have with driving. Then would you would you say that the the honey tea then was acting like a, a distraction whilst you were driving, or you'd be snacking on other foods whilst you were driving too? Um, I think it's well. Like I only had sort of only drunk water and coffee at work, but not in abundance of the water as I do now. So it'd be more or less snacking if I got hungry. I'd stop and get a Gangster's pasty <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a pack of Cheeto yeah. crisps. But now I don't feel that I don't feel the need to. I, I, I like get up and I'll go to work without any breakfast. I mean, I have some water and I can take a coffee with me. That's about it. But um. Yeah, it's just strange how I'm not feeling hungry. I mean, I do feel more alert. I feel tired when I come home. Like, actually, I've done a day's work. And I feel happier in, in like myself. Which is something mm-hmm. else. Before doing it, I researched and people have been saying the same thing. They feel more alert. They feel more tired. They feel more happier. It, like, improves. They've got more energy. Which is, which is strange. But then again, I'm guessing if you have a lot of protein... Your body's going to use it in a way that it's that sort of repairing it. itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> exactly. And you also, again, you're not on any sort of like sugar level roller coaster ride during no. the day too. So your body, I'm sure, if you ended up measuring it, it with that kind of eating style that you're doing now, you'll you'll have ketones in your system now. So these, you know, you'll be burning your own fat for fuel now a lot more. And your, your body will be becoming more adapted to that feeling, um, and that's where you hear those stories in the ketogenic community, or when um, why they use ketones to improve brain health and feel better. And um, I, I do see the benefit to that too—that you get off that sugar roller coaster ride. And that's why when I go traveling, I definitely prioritize protein because if I end up, you know, gorging on some carb, carby foods quite a bit, then I know myself. My system, and yeah, I'm going to end up getting hungry so much quicker. But if I can just have a good piece of something more meaty, um, satiated, I'm, I'm happier for much, much longer. Yeah, I mean that's one thing. Also, you you mentioned about snacking. There's nothing really for like me on this carnivore diet to like really snack on, <laughs> except mm-hmm. for um, jerky. But just, just yeah, jer- jerky. That's it. Otherwise, you know what you should try. Have you in South Africa? You get something called um, biltong. I have tried it, but I did look on the back because Sainsbury's do some really nice biltong, like the platinum edition. But um, mm-hmm. I looked on it. I dext- it had dextrose in it, and I didn't really want any sugar in it. To be fair, yeah, and it's quite yeah. Hard. No, that's a yeah. That's a problem with biltong is you know they can put a, lot, a bunch of stuff in it, but then uh, if you I mean there's there's so many South African butchers in the UK too or butchers who do South African kind of foods 
And there's another type of meat called drovos. So drovos shouldn't have anything on it. So that's if you want something a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, as I did try to make my own beef jerky, um, slightly just gone. So I put it in the oven low for like, I think it was in there for nearly four to five hours. Uh, and it turned out quite well. I just think it needed a bit more time to dry out a bit longer. Mm-hmm. And I just did salt and pepper on it. Then I know what's going in it. But before I put it in, I did eat a bit of raw steak. And I thought that was quite nice. Because it's something I've been meaning... Well, not meaning to, but maybe thinking of doing a bit of a raw... Like, for a week, a raw meat diet. Mm. Well, I know it can sound extreme, but... Um the one raw dish you have to try if you can is carpaccio. That is amazing. I love carpaccio. What's that? Um, so, so carpaccio is when you would take typically probably fillet, um, but you cut it. You know, you could get someone to to do this for you because you need a, a proper cutting machine. Mm-hmm. But you would cut it super super fine. It's like paper thin. Mm-hmm. And when you cut fillets, uh, and it's completely raw, <clears throat> so when you cut fresh raw fillet like that, oh, it's so good. And usually um, with a carpaccio dish, you would serve it with um, some olive oil. Um, sometimes they, you know, they would put a mozzarella cheese on it and that. But yeah, if you if you end up looking around carpaccio, that's a that's an amazing dish. I might have to give that a go. I did also. Um, I tried a raw egg as well. At the weekend because I've never tried one before and I thought I'm like sort of going to give it a go. It's experimental stage, kind of all like this, that, and like the other. And it was quite nice. It just tasted like milk. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think most people would be surprised at how often they've probably tasted a raw egg because um, it's used in so many dishes too. Yeah, it's not always cooked. No, and I, I like went through this brain thing. I'm still thinking about it, but I'm thinking of maybe having a raw egg. For breakfast just for like maybe the rest of the time I'm doing this diet which is two weeks so I'll have a raw egg a day to see if that does anything to me maybe not give me salmonella but <laughs> but no um, maybe you'll turn into Rocky oh yeah <laughs> I mean like where I live in Lincolnshire we've got a farm that sells raw milk and they also make cheese from their raw milk so it's like raw cheeses I'm like well it's really good value it's like a pound for I think it's a pound for a litre of raw milk and a pound for a bit of cheese. And it's like an honesty box, so you just drive up this long gravel farm track, go in the little cabin, take what you want, put the money, sign the book, and off you go. That's cool. But but it does cost a bit more money than a regular diet, I've been like, noticing. It's a bit harder on the pocket. Yeah, definitely. With, um, that was always my problem, my concern with the meat is because meat itself is, can be quite expensive per kilogram. But then I guess it depends how much you're going to eat in there because if you compare, like, if you ended up having a diet where you would have uh, porridge in the morning or cereals, you'd probably be, you know, get hungry a couple of hours later, then you end up having a snack of some sort, and then you have a lunch. Um, I think it ends up, probably being quite comparable you know with the costing wise because it because it does stop all those other meals too yeah. and and what, what's always interesting is when you go around the, the supermarket is looking at the price per kilogram so look at the price per kilogram of different meats to get you know better value 
but also then compare the price per kilogram of things like cereal or other, you know, carb items. And it's, it is crazy, actually, how much, how comparable they are price per kilogram. All right. Yeah. I, I, well, I'm like off shopping tomorrow because I like need more milk and eggs. So I'll have to have a, a quick look about that. I'm like speaking about, well, speaking about food, obviously, but um, I went out to a restaurant two weeks ago and the first restaurant I went to, I could not have anything on the menu. They wouldn't even do steak. So, that like from a full menu, there was nothing I like could have. So, we went to the next restaurant, and um, luckily for me, it was it turned out it was steak night. So I had a steak <laughs> just on its own. But it's it's um it's like it's like a bit of a nightmare being on this carnivore diet and going to a restaurant with people because there's nothing you can have unlike let's say steak jam and ask them to do a burger patty with cheese on or um, if they've got a fish dish because um, I was going to have eggs but I wasn't sure I would do the eggs and if they put anything in the eggs other than especially scrambled egg because chefs have got their own like um, their own recipes for scrambled eggs so it's always a bit dodgy I found asking for them so it's your steak <laughs> yeah it's uh, i think you know restaurants aren't designed for just primarily meat dishes you'd have to that's why you, you're noticing especially in the carnival community what a lot of people who follow that way of eating more especially on the strict way is they f they try to look for those brazilian steakhouses so you know you're going to get ample amounts of just pure meat all the time otherwise you do have to try be creative and thinking if you want just meat like how can I get a dish that's going to be okay for the for the chef to cook in this place or to make for me in this place well I I live near Lincoln I don't know if if you've ever heard of it Lincoln I'm, I'm not sure you have Lincoln in sort of the UK we went to a Brazilian house there and um, it was £20 for as much meat as you could eat so that was good. The first lot that came out had garlic on it, so I gave that a pass. But like mm -hmm. they brought out these banging sausages with like turkey and pork. They were really, really nice. And by the time I was full, I was really, really full. And the last one he brought around was chicken heart, and I wish he would have brought that first because I like would have liked to try chicken heart. But when you're full of meat, feeling a bit dodgy, that's the last thing you really wanted to do. Mm. Yeah, and so actually, you know, when you were talking about uh, budgeting on a carnival diet, yes. I mean, that's that's something else I spend a lot of the time uh, just speaking with butchers. I mean, the, you know, your butchers are fantastic, too, when you're just saying, hey, what what is the current uh, best cut of meat? Because it's seasonal, too, for them, mm -hmm. or, you know, d depending on the month. And just speaking with the butcher and say, um, look, I don't know if you've got a freezer, but if you do have a freezer at home, then you would just say, hey, can I do you a deal if I buy X amount of kilograms of uh, meat that you give me a better price? And sometimes butchers will give you catering prices, and there's a huge difference between what they retail and what catering prices are. I never even thought of doing that. Not, you know, yeah, no, no, your butcher your butcher's there to have a chat with and say, hey, what's the best cut of meat? What's the best price at the moment? Um, and if you then you may find actually if I, and have that discussion if I if I buy X amount will you give me a different uh, price and then suddenly you could it becomes way more um, sustainable and 
the other thing was what you just mentioned there with the chicken salad. Um, yeah, going for the other cuts that people typically won't eat, then the butchers have to discount them. Um, that and those, you know, for your chicken livers and my, like my kids love kidney and different kinds of meat that, again, are parts that butchers struggle to get rid of because no one typically eats that stuff anymore. But uh, that could be another source and they're super nutritious. And otherwise in a supermarket, what I love doing sometimes too is looking in the, the discount section where um, in, the, in the discount uh, fresh meat section too, uh, you may find some cuts of meat that are reduced dramatically in price just because they, they want to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one, the one thing I, I don't know if maybe you've noticed is food wastage on this diet is very minimal. Very nothing. I think I, I think about two days ago I wasn't really hungry and I had to force myself really. And it was my mistake, but I left some egg white. I'm, I like made sure I ate the yolk, but I did leave the egg white, but I did eat all the meat. But yeah, I'm like sort of. I mean, sort of people like Sean Baker. Uh, yeah, Sean the like Baker eats like all these pounds of meat in like one sitting, and I'm like struggling to eat like six grams of bacon and two eggs. <laughs> I know. I felt the exact same way. It's uh, it's it's hard to eat that level of, of food, but you know he's also doing a lot of weightlifting and exercise, so he, he gets really hungry. And yeah, I, um, I did send him a message, and he did say he would come on the podcast. So I'm just waiting to set some up. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Sean's a great guy. Yeah, he's a, he's a really nice man, and uh, yeah, I can't eat that level of, of food unless I was doing some heavy weight training. Um, um, as I say, he's very active. Yeah, but then you have the complete opposite too. With um, there's a group of Hungarian doctors do the paleo paleo ketogenic diet or PKD, mm-hmm. and when I, I I mean I look at the amount of food they eat because their diet too what they advocate is just fatty um, cuts of meat. But the, what they would also argue is that like a carnivore diet, American style, doesn't have enough fat on it. So you actually want fattier cuts of meat um, to help with the body too, and then eating organ meats. So, uh, but I mean, but those meals they don't eat pounds of meat. They they just eat uh, you know European levels. Mm. So like what we're talking about. What what do you think is the difference between grain-fed um, meat to grass-fed meat? Um, I would. I mean, personally myself, I, I prefer grass-fed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that it's healthier for the animal. So I just preference stuff that's better for the animal because if the animal's healthier, then what I'm consuming is healthier, I believe. But there's nothing wrong with also eating grain-fed um, foods. And most, most, you know, the, the hardest thing to do when you're speaking with farmers who raise cattle or, or like dairy dairy cows or anything, you know. It's when when they talk about grass fed only, it's hard to say this is one hundred percent grass fed because they have to take them inside, and then they have to feed them some feed sometimes in that. So, right. as long as it's predominantly outside and just grazing, um, I think that's a good thing for the animal too. But the one one thing I'm really happy about is I think there's a big difference between grain fed meat in the UK versus grain-fed meat in the US. Because the farming practices are, are very different, I believe. I, I have heard that we've got better farming 
standards than them. Um, yeah, and I mean, some yeah, and when people sometimes think of grain fed, they think of those mega, you know, cattle lots that you might may watch on some documentaries where they herd them all in, and yeah. you know, that's that's commercial farming on a whole other level, which I don't believe happens in the UK. It's just not the land that's for it. No, yeah, that's true. So yeah, I mean, like sort of as I say, from like this diet, because I just want to go on to a bit more biohacking things. On on this diet, I've I've learned um, even though I do miss sugar and like there is chocolate bars in the fridge which I have not touched it's um sugar's been the hardest one for me sugar's been the hardest one to sort of kick that could be a sugar addiction there that you're just noticing so yeah. you need that you need you need that energy buzz from the from the sugar to, to you know make you yeah. feel good during the day and it's just the very it's just the variety of foods I know you can have fish and and like I know you can have duck quail eggs and duck eggs etc but it's just that it's just that variety of food that I really miss like sort of I'm a bit of a foodie I'm sort of I like most foods and I'm sort of just limited myself I wanted to do this 30 day experiment to see what would happen to me body wise that's hence why I'm like sort of glucose testing and things like that like as I said I, sh- I really should have done that at some like the beginning but I'm guessing at the end of it if it's good, it's good, isn't it? Even like your blood pressure, resting heart rate, and like sort of things like that. But it's just a variety of yeah. things that I'm sort of missing out on. Um, well, well, again, I, you know, my top tip there is this is a time to challenge yourself. I think you know, it's, it, there's an art in cooking all these different animal-based products, and you go to the butcher and challenge yourself to say, all right, um, what are the different? What, what's like a, an organ meat or something? And then look at all the different recipes online that yeah. you can do with this kind of organ meat. And then there's suddenly a different variety feeling. I mean, I was watching someone do a recipe on the Instagram carnivore hashtag page thing that I like follow. And it just gave me the idea to like cut some bits of bacon up, mix them in with my mint, flatten them down, put a bit of cheese, roll it up into a ball. So that's like bacon and cheese meatballs I had on Saturday but mm-hmm. again it was dry but I had two poached eggs with it just for that sort of sauce but I mean I don't know I just thought the cheese would make a nice sauce but it didn't no you, you need you need more fatty meats then you need you know the, if it's not fatty enough it's going to be so dry it is but yeah yeah yeah. oxtail is another good one to experiment with oxtail yeah, oxtail and then uh, bone and bone marrows. Now bone marrows, yeah. I mean, I like pork dripping, but I can't see myself eating that because I'm. Haven't, haven't you ever tried pork dripping? It's got white at the top, then it's the brown gel at the bottom. Mm. That's that's really nice on bread, but I can't have it on bread, and it's really salty. So I thought, could I just have that for like one spoonful? But I thought that's just a bit grim. <laughs> Liver, liver. I'm not keen on. I've never been keen on like cl- sort of like liver prawns. I'm having a lot more prawns and a lot more fish while being on this diet. Okay. Which is good. Um, and um, I have coffee. I have one coffee a day, which brings me on to the next one. You like coffee? Yeah, I love coffee. What sort of coffee is your favourite? Uh, at the moment. Um, well, generally when I when I order coffee, uh, I just get whole beans. Yeah. So, 
yeah, I get whole bean coffee from a roaster in London, and uh, so it's it's uh, you know they put the the roast date on there, so I know how fresh it is. Mm-hmm. And then typically, I'd like uh, I like South American coffees, um, Brazilian, Guatemalan, um, Colombian, and yeah, it's uh, not uh, definitely not. It, it mixes between medium to dark roast, yeah. uh, like a high altitude one. And I would say I'm definitely more keen on the chocolatey ones versus the fruity ones. Have you tried so. to roast your own beans yet? Because like the podcast I was listening to today, when you had the is a um, oh what was his name was it Ash? Mm-hmm. Asher, yeah. Yeah, Asher. Have you have you tried to roast your own beans yet? From that conversation. Yeah, I did. Yeah, after after my interview with Asher, that I did that for quite a while. So I just I'd buy green beans and then roast them on the frying pan on the stovetop. Yeah, because I was having a look at the popcorn makers. Then there's one on Amazon. There's a coffee roaster on Amazon. I think it's two hundred and sixty or two hundred and fifty gram, and that's like forty odd pounds. Mm-hmm. And I thought should I? But then I read on the internet it can get quite smoky when like you roast your own yeah. coffee. Yeah. I think I did speak to Asher about popcorn makers and that. Um, yeah, that's a very expensive, experimental, fun hobby too. When you start getting into roasting, I mean, you see what some of these guys come up with with these different roasting machines. Definitely. Uh, have you ever tried any of the uh, animal coffee, like sort of the black ivory, like the black ivory coffee, or the Jacku? Is it is it the Jacku Beard coffee and the Civic coffee? And if so, what did you think? So the Mm, yeah, those coffees where the, the animals have ingested them and then they you, you get the remains. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think I actually have, or if I have, I can't actually remember them. Like how good they were. The, but, c- no. the, c- the Civic coffee's nice. That's, yeah, but I've got my own the Black Ivory coffee. But the Black Ivory coffee is like seventy pound for a thirty-six gram bag. <laughs> So I hope it's a good cup of coffee. Had not make six espressos, which is my Bocciolelli coffee pot thing I've got. So like I, I like can have one of them, and I'm scared because I thought I'm either going to mess it up and I'm going to drop it everywhere, and that's like a massive waste of money gone, and it's mm. quite expensive just to do. But as I say, I do like coffee. Um, yeah, so I don't know <laughs> how like how's um. How do you brew your coffee, and what do you have in it? Do you have milk, cream, sugars, or just black? Yeah, uh, no, I just have whole milk at the moment. Um, I mean, I, there was a long time I used to do the whole bulletproof coffees, um, but oh, I don't. Is that with I the butter and into it? Yeah, the butter and the MCT oil, you know, the refined coconut oil. Yeah, um, yeah, but right now, no, I just enjoy enjoy. Uh, Freshly roasted coffee that I've gr- that I grind fresh. Um, typically, just for speed sake, I use an AeroPress. Um, right. I like it. AeroPress tends to make an all right coffee for me. Otherwise, I've got a few other co- coffee brewing gizmos um, that also are quite nice sometimes. Yeah, and but the key thing for me is just been playing with um, the amount of grams. And so I, I have my little um, hand grinder. So I have I, I hand grind each cup, 
So I put my little grinder on the measuring scale and then measure out t- 10 grams, grind that, aeropress, and then, yeah, plunge, put, a bit, put some whole milk in there, and that's it. Yeah, I um, what I do for my morning coffee, I have one small espresso, and then if I warm milk up in um, either on the cooker or the microwave, so it's hot, so it's whole milk, and I use one or two espresso cups of coffee back into my thermos mug, and then pour the rest of the hot milk in, top it up with hot water. Then I take that on work, right for me, and it normally keeps it fresh, well, warm for like three, three to four hours. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah, and then I just drink water. And then, obviously, you can see the problem with if you're on a motorway, going to Birmingham or somewhere, and you really need a wee, because you've drunk nearly three litres of water, it can get a bit... A bit Problematic, then. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, and it can. So if people wanted to start maybe biohacking themselves, what would be the best um, the best way to start for, like, a beginner? A bit, and a bit like myself, I've done been doing it for like two weeks, as I say, and I've been trying to read up on things, and it's led me to like look more how the body works, a bit more about blood pressure and things like that, like the top number means, the bottom number means. But if someone wanted to get into it and didn't want to go to, through that um, rigmarole, what's some sort of the best ways that they could get into it, would you say? Yeah, um, so I would probably say. What's the person's goal, first of all? Mm-hmm. Um, so is it, you know, I think a lot of people, is it just like a weight thing? I think a lot of people deal with weight management. Yeah. Um, so you could you could start just, podcasts are amazing. You know, like what we're doing now, there's so much inform- good information out there. So just, if you've got a smartphone, you know, um, just jumping on the podcast directories and just searching out for things like keto, low carb, uh, those are probably some good diets I would first introduce someone to to start thinking about playing around with different nutrition things then you know, you've got some big names out there to, that you could follow um, and again it d- depends on that spectrum that I was talking about earlier but I, I don't think most people are in the inject genetic stage of where they want to go, they just want good general health yeah, that's, um, that's one thing that's one thing I'm, I'm, I don't want to go down with my lap. I, 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 I mean, I do find it interesting, but as far as doing that sort of stuff to myself, I like, like, wouldn't be key. No. I'm just interested in, in like monitoring my sleep. That's that's sort of an, that's sort of another thing. I, I like want to get a camera and film myself sleep, and then compare it to the data I get from like my Fitbit Facer Two to see if there's because like it. I mean, it says it was only. Man, like what you said last night, that I was asleep for five hours. I'm sure I was asleep for longer than five hours. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting with the wearables. I mean, the accuracy of the different ones when it comes to measuring my health. Yeah, they've all got limitations too. But, I mean, that again, yeah, sleep is a huge one. My, my philosophy is when it comes to biohacking or just health improvement stuff, it's ideally I'd like to find out stuff that I can do now at mm. this age or even if I was younger, but also if I was in my 70s or 80s, then it's sustainable. Um, and I think that's a key component to to learning health too or biohacking yourself is understanding how, how your body works and work with it as it ages. 
to let it do the best it can do, or hopefully live the best life you can live, however however long you live. Um, so yeah, other other resource wise, uh, wise I would say outside of just doing general podcast searches, and um, you got some other big names out there like Ben Greenfield or Dave Asprey is another one. But uh, Facebook groups, um, there's a really good one if you're based in the UK called the London Health. Um, I forgot what the, what the Facebook group name is like, but London Health Optimization or London Biohackers or something like that. Um, Tim Gray, he's Tim Gray, yeah, he's the, the leader of that one, and that's a that's a really good useful resource there that will that will get you uh, get your feet into the water and you know expose you to all, all kinds of concepts too. And also your podcast because I've just been binging that. And you've got so many people on it, such from different from people just having a normal diet all the way to bloody doctors who were like professors in genetics and things like that which is really interesting yeah so yeah um, yeah my, my my podcast here you know I, I do have uh i do enjoy what i do and yeah it's a biohackers lab which is available on youtube um, that's in the case all the interviews on youtube on the youtube channel and then it's available on all the audio directories out there like google and apple wherever else you whatever else you want to consume it on yeah. and yeah what i love to do is um it's just interview people from individuals like yourself, you know, who are finding out new things all the way to your PhDs yeah. and just saying, hey, okay, so the re- you know, you do research in a lab, but is it practical to everyday life or how can we connect the dot to a, to a normal person so we understand what you just said yeah. and how do I actually make a decision from that? Yeah, be, hence why I'm getting a food log and like, Blogging data because I I've just got a regular job. I'm a regular person. I don't do anything outstanding, or vice versa. I just thought if like I can get a bit of scientific data, if you can call it scientific data, just to back up like like the 30 day diet. Yeah, and and what you what you're doing, Rick, is amazing because um, today I think I published uh, my episode with Tim Spector, Professor Tim Spector, down in um, King's College. And the gist that came out of that too was just that personalization of health is super important. I mean, when he, when we were talking about nutrition there, and how your how you know he studies twins, and even though you've got genetically identical twins, they have completely different health different health out- outcomes because they have different gut bacteria. So, pers- personalization of the diets in twins is even important not the genetics it's the how what how their body responds and and so we're all different and what you're doing there by tracking your own health parameters empowers you and so if you ever have to go to a gp or to a doctor you can have a better discussion with them and say hey look this i'm noticing this is how my body works when it does something and it could help guide them too when they make their clinical decisions or you know help you with your own decisions so yeah, um, I'm all for self-empowerment. Yeah, because that's a sort of one of the other good things about this diet. It's used for um, elimination, which brings me to my point where I said earlier is that I'm feeling the cold more. So it'd be interesting for me after when I finish this diet to maybe had bring back honey in with my tea, um, and maybe a few green vegetables because obviously I don't want to slam my body back into it and see if anything changes from there. And like if I do feel crap, take the honey out and maybe keep the 
greens and beans and that and if they I like still feel crap take them out and bring the honey back with the tea yeah and because and, and you're going to start tracking your sugar levels in there you'll be able to see what happens and typically when you want to measure your sugar levels you want to measure it one or two hours after you've had a meal because that's mm-hmm. what they call postprandial so one or two hours after you've had is when you see like how did your body respond yeah I was going to do it first thing in the morning when I wake up and last thing at night and obviously I read somewhere on the internet is it before you eat or after you eat it's like got to be after like sort of after you eat yeah so it's like a like someone who's diabetic so if they eat food they can see what what the food does to them afterwards and that's why you'll see nowadays there's people who wear these continuous glucose monitors uh, CGMs and they'll be able to measure it continuously through their phone during the day like how their body responds but um, yeah I mean I'd be interested like with you with your feeling the cold imagine now because you've only been doing this for 14 days but um, once you get through your 30 days if you just then sort of just try to carry on just what the way your way of eating but only he brought in the honey tea back for five days and just noticed like oh suddenly I feel completely different yeah. so yeah I mean, it's just another variable for you to understand how you how you respond I mean one thing I did find from the honey is that I hardly got ill like cold wise or flu wise sore throats none at all really I don't think I've been really ill for the last two years so I've put that down with like maybe the honey or maybe mm-hmm. the, or maybe the use of CBD and so I'm like well which is something else I want to experiment with so I've got a few things that I'd like, like to try um, have you ever done flotation tanks before? Mm-hmm. yeah it's good yeah what did you think? My first one was two hours. Then uh, I went back a couple of weeks later to did did two hours. No, sorry, my first one was one hour. My second time was two hours, and my third time I went was three hours. Impressive. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's, um, deprivation. Yeah, definitely. And the third the third time, the three hours was just too long because like drips started to drop on like my head and started to pull me out. It was just starting to pull me out of them. Uh, the um the thing I was in the like hypnotic trance so so mm-hmm. to speak but they're so yeah. nice yeah I mean if you if you've got a problem where your mind is just racing too much you know, pop yourself in one of those flotation tanks and just practicing deprivation therapy for a little bit it's it, it's a different place you know um when you're in complete darkness, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. You know it's there because you put you can you know you put your hand in front of your face, but you just can't see it. Um, but yet you're floating on this water. It's, it's a different feeling. And if you if you just let yourself then go off and try to relax, um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good feeling. And I think again with the busy life that we lead, that's where flotation therapy really comes into play. Mm-hmm. It just lets you say hey you know what it's not a problem if I just stop for 45 minutes or 60 minutes and just actually just be just be here not have to think really and just go where I need to go yeah because the temperature's warm to your body skin it's 37 degrees Mm -hmm. so like you can't really feel yourself like floating there you're just like closest thing to being back into the womb or being in space yeah like sort of thing which is it's, and it's really good. I've, 
did um, how like have you read any books by John C. Lilly, the guy who sort of made them and experimented with them? Mm-hmm. No, I didn't. I haven't read any of his books, but um, that's when you know, like I always use my podcast to educate myself too. Um, yeah. yeah, Sean McCormack, who started up uh, Flotation, the Flotation Tank uh, chain in Seattle. There, I mean, yeah, I, I geeked out with Sean on that one. Um, just to find out the history on Flotation Therapy. Yeah. There, I mean, John C. Lilly um, wasn't regarded really as a dotty and was like sort of an outcast from the scientific world but he like was a really leading uh, what's the word I'm looking for a leading person in um, like dolphins because he he like was quite an expert in dolphins but then he had like sides from where he would inject himself with ketamine and go in the flotation tank and see what would happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's a whole other level when you start taking uh you know, some psychedelics or whatever, just then pop yourself in the in the flotation tank. Yeah, because like you can um, hallucinate anyway without doing that. In there, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. It puts your brain into other ways. Well, thanks for coming on. If people wanted to find out more about you, and like, sort of know you've already said your um, domains and things like that, and I will put them in the description. But can you just give them again, please? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Gary Curran from Biohackers Lab. And as I said, I'm available on YouTube and all the podcast directories out there, or otherwise the websites with all my links to is uh, biohackerslab.com, which is B-I-O-H-A-C-K-E-R-S-L-A-B.com. Excellent stuff. Well, thanks for coming on, and um, who knows, we might talk again in the future. Yeah, and good luck with all your journey. And thanks very much for taking time out and speaking to me. Great. Thanks, Rick. Cheers, thank you. Bye-bye. The Tim Biscuit Podcast.